Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the UK's largest talk health radio station. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians, CEOs and founders who are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. I am the CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PogDoc and I'm passionate about the people and companies that are changing the world. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show, whether you're listening live on UK Health Radio or whether you're listening on one of the um, podcast platforms. So syndicated out through Spotify, Apple, Amazon or Google. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Um, Please follow the show on the socials. It's at Health Tech Hour. Please also follow the, um, the station, which is at UK Health Radio. There's a ton of presenters on the station doing some really great shows. So please follow just to make sure you stay on top of everything that's coming up. Um, after last week's show, last week's show was with Kate Bratt-Farrar, the CEO of Heart Research UK. Check it out on, on um, your podcast platform of choice if you missed it. Um, it was super inspiring to hear her journey and why she does what she does, what her so what is, what gets her out of bed and, and why she and how she can stay on, on the mission of effectively keeping families together and, and stopping people dying. Um, we're actually returning to the area today of individuals and companies who are helping the NHS save millions of pounds a year through better care delivery uh, and helping people who suffer from long term conditions live healthier lives by using technology. Now, there's a lot in there that we're going to unpack through the show. Um, but on today's show, we have the CEO of Spirit Health Group, Chris Barker. Chris has had a long career supporting the NHS in the UK and has been CEO of Spirit Health for over 10 years. Now, Spirit Health is one of the fastest growing service providers to the NHS in the UK, and their services touch millions of people across the UK every year, covering everything from GP surgeries through to the home monitoring of diabetes and COPD. Um, Chris also describes himself as chief mischievist. I think I might have, I'm not sure whether I said that right, chief mischievist of Spirit Health. Um, and that, so that bodes for a, for a fun show. So Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I was so keen to describe my really long career in health, Steve, and I thought, <laughs> I mean, really old. It's, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, delighted to be here, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, good. I, I have a hard act to follow after last week's podcast. Yeah, it was good. It was really good to get Kate on. And, and it was kind of the end. And we did a um, February is Healthy Heart Month, which you may or may not have been aware of. But we had a kind of a series of people. So um, it was it was really inspiring um, to it's always very good to get a, on the show. We like to have a blend of people that work in private companies and people that work in not for profit. And, and actually consistently across all of them. And I'm sure that we'll get into that with you is around there's generally a, a personal mission or a personal drive as to why that they do what they do. Um, and I actually think 
within not-for-profit that's even stronger you know a, a, as a calling um so yeah it was a it was a good show so um as everyone listening probably knows or regular listeners will know we do the show in three parts so the first one is really more of an origins around how you came to be doing everything that you're doing um the middle bit is all of the amazing stuff that you and spirit health are doing and then the final bit is more around you know motivational generally how do you stay on your mission how do you keep going um you know in the in, in what is well, you know, it's been a pretty tough couple of years, but also <laughs> healthcare and healthcare in general, um, you know, is a is a tough tough industry. So um, let's let's kick it off. When and and why did you decide on a scientific healthcare career? Because I think that you you ended up choosing, from what I can tell, a sort of relatively scientific degree at university. Did did you not? So how how was that journey for you? Yeah. So I started off. Um, I guess the first, I came from a medical family, so, so right. my my father's doctor, um, and whilst it was never impressed upon me that I had to enter that field, yet my persuasion was always a little bit towards the scientific and the academic. Mm-hmm. And being brutally honest, I was just terrible at the arty stuff. Um, okay. and and I think I certainly enjoyed playing to my strengths. So for me, I took a degree in pharmacology. Um, I'm not sure it was my favourite time, and I was really keen to get out into work and, and, and apply that in a way that was was then useful. Um, uh, what ha- so pharmacology is one of those words that many people listening may have heard without actually necessarily knowing exactly what it is. What what? How would you define pharmacology? Oh, Steve, you're hanging me out to dry. Really, <laughs> you did it for three years. Uh, Come on, um, I did it for th- I did as little as possible of it for three years. <laughs> probably the honest answer. Um, so, um, so pharmacology is, is the study of drugs and their mechanisms of action, how they work, and how they impact the body. Um, okay. Um, so, um, uh, whilst I'm being a little bit facetious, actually, um, it's really important in the field of medicine and uh, and how those drugs then have a positive or indeed negative impact upon the body um, okay. fairly topical during the time of vaccines and covid and all the things yeah the last couple i of imagine years. and so was that like what what of all of the different sort of medical quasi-scientific sort of degrees why why that one versus many many others that, that would have also fitted in with that sort of definition um because i was a really arrogant 17 year old um <laughs> who thought that i'd walk my a-levels um, because okay. I wasn't quite smart, but actually, yeah, relative to what I could have achieved, I I didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Um, right. So it was a degree that yeah I could get onto, um, mm-hmm. and that helped me move in the right direction um, without having messed up too much. Um, okay, nice. Honest answer. Um, yeah, you like honesty. Um, and it it was a essentially it was a it was a step up into a career really in sales and marketing. So whilst okay. in my degrees in um in in science actually if i look at my core strengths probably sales marketing and building teams are, are more where i see myself having success i'm surrounded these days by far better scientists than, than, and medics than me yeah i know that um you know appreciate production call i know that one of the big strengths of spirit health group is the team and and the emphasis that you place on culture. So we'll come, we're going to, you know, we can come into that as, as we move through. So from the pharmacology sort of degree, did you, did you have a sort of journey mapped out intentionally that, that sort of led you to where you are? Because I think you sort of continued on within the healthcare field. Did you sort of not straight uh, after? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I was really lucky to go and have a career working in big pharmaceutical companies. Uh, okay. so I, I went to go and work for, uh, for Johnson Johnson, one of the biggest healthcare companies in the world. Um, and I 
yeah, I benefited for the best part of seven years. Um, I think it was of, of their um, of their training, of their upskilling, of of the passion and enthusiasm that they also have for you know, for changing the world. Um, and I think probably that helped shape yeah, the foundations really of of my uh, of my thinking around value sets and, and how we look to uh, create what we do going forward. Uh, and um, how exactly, people talk about the value of, of, of the value that big pharma invest in their, their people, you know, invest yeah. in their training and development is it, it sounds like that's true. You know, those stories are true. There's a, there, there's a pathway and it's clear and there's a proactive development. And, you know, it seems like that's what you were sort of saying there. Uh, uh, my experience, 100%. Um, I, I absolutely um, owe a debt of gratitude to the, the teams that I work with at, at j and um, I, I, I personally was invested in very heavily, both with time from, from managers, but also you know, structured training and leadership courses, um, yeah. you know, formal programs. And yes, at the time, uh, accepting it was the best part of 20 years ago now, Steve. It, uh, yeah, <laughs> certainly for me, it was it was it was a really rewarding time and probably one that except for personal circumstances wouldn't have ended. Um, right. And so um, at the time when you were, when, when you were there, what, what was what, what, at, at the time outside of like drug development, obviously outside of that, what were the type of technologies and what was digital healthcare a thing at that point? Or what was the, what, what was around and what were you interacting with? Like what, what does, what did tech mean at that point? You know, for the for your peer group and the people that were around at that time uh, again i'm going to sound really old but i think the tech that was around at the time was probably a nokia 3210 Steve, <laughs> uh, which, which felt like the, the 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 height of all innovation um, right because we could text message um uh, so, so in reality 20 years ago um it was it was really primitive uh, right we were we were starting to use data analytics and starting to use yeah, what at the time we thought were really advanced techniques but in, in reality now looking back it was just the beginning um yeah the, the starting to yeah, from a sales and marketing perspective e-detailing wasn't a thing it was just being mm-hmm. thought about um, yeah, some of the drug discovery work um, was starting to be automated, but in the really early stages. Um, right. So yeah, it was um, yeah a very forward-thinking company, but it, it feels like in a different generation when you look back. Yeah, I mean, a heck of a lot's happened. Not just in, I mean, not just in the last twenty years, but last two years, which will, which we can we can sort of get into. Um, so, how did you sort of transition from that pharma into? Because you've, you've been at Spirit Health now for you know over ten years, and so. How was that transition? And also, what was Spirit Health like when you joined it, you know, t- 10 years ago? Because I suspect it was, it, well, it may be the same. I don't, I don't know. It may have the same mission, but I imagine well, a, a spread across a much wider variety of services. But, you know, you, you tell me. Yeah, so I, left, um, so I left Big Pharma to found Spirit back in 2009. Um, and, yeah, the objective really was to... Um, was to start building something that that I felt didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, for all the good things about big pharmaceutical companies, one of the challenges that they have is 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 that they have yeah, a large base of shareholders. They have um, they have a, a challenge around how they structure themselves, and they're not necessarily quick to react to changes in the market. Uh, right. So for for me, there was an opportunity with Spirit to go make a real difference. Uh, and at the time, and I guess what was different 
initially was that our focus was largely on the UK. Yeah. And our mm-hmm. focus was largely on clinical service provision in the UK, um, okay. and provision of, of pharmaceuticals and medical devices into the, into the National Health Service. Our objective was still the same, really, which was to, you know, to, to cost effectively improve care for people and give better access to, to medicines. Um, OK. And so when you were, you were a big pharma and then at what point did you think, do you know what, I'm going to go and start my own company? Because a lot of people stay in big pharma because it's a fantastic pathway and there's training development economically one is compensated very well you know there's opportunities to travel so on and so forth but that i mean it's a big change right to go off and found your own company so you know did we were you mission driven or was it serendipitous or what how did that sort of play out uh, like most things in a spirit world these days there was quite a large chunk of serendipity involved um, right so, so i left big pharma to go and do consultancy work so i okay um, I felt that uh, I could have a bigger impact on the work I was doing by working in consultancy directly with health services. Right. Um, like get, how, when you say health service, you mean like the NHS, like oh, correct, yeah, right. yeah, what do you, yeah. Yeah. So I was um, again, going back several NHS reorganizations ago, um, I was working in, um, in primary care trusts um, okay. and, and in the separation between provider and commissioning organizations. And, and I guess I've always had this, yeah, my mission in pharma, over time became to help the NHS restructure and, and reorganize itself so that it could be okay. effective in that service delivery component. Mm. And, but I always felt a little bit like an outsider um, because okay. you know, ultimately you were working for another organization. So there, there absolutely was always a, two agendas operating at the same time. Mm. Uh, the two agendas were very much congruent. You could work on them together, but I always felt like a slight outsider. So, so I wanted to go and do the consultancy work because I felt like, well, if I'm part of it, I can make a bigger difference quicker and faster. Yeah. Um, I was ultimately wrong. Um, <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> as, as happens repeatedly throughout this story, Steve. Um, right, okay. Uh, and what I found was that actually it was just as challenging um, to, to change the system from within it. Um, okay. And therefore, absolutely utmost respect to anybody that is able to do that currently. Uh, right. And, beyond. Um, and I hope that, from those lots of mistakes, we're starting to make a bigger impact these days than we did at the time. And do you, um, so do you think going back, because as you said, there's been reorg after reorg after reorg, and but, but going back to that time when you were you were work, trying to sort of help or, or play, you know, your role in, in those restructures, w- was it clear? The, did, do you think the goals were right, executed wrongly, or was it ha- like, or was it just a process and one thing led to another and that's fine, but it was just, it's just such a big organization with so many issues that it just sort of, it just takes a heck of a lot of time to get it, you know, right. Um, so, so I think what the NHS is trying to achieve is brilliant. And, and I, I, I wish that yeah, every single person on the planet had access to a health system like ours, not just in the UK. Um, having said that, it has its challenges. Uh, what are its challenges? Um, it's massive. Um, and it's got lots of different moving parts, and those different moving parts are both complex and not always well interlinked. Um, mm. And that's true both between different counties or parts of the country in the UK, but it's also true within those same areas when you start with yeah. the mix of health and social care. So, so for me, it's the difficulty of bringing all those stakeholders on the same journey. Um, uh, there's yeah. also a challenge that, yeah, particularly in the health service, yeah, people go into the health service and work in it for life. Um, yeah. And so what you see in private industry where people move around different organisations and get a different flavour for how things work doesn't necessarily happen, at least not as much in, 
in the NHS. Right. So, so, so actually persuading people who've done something one way for the last 20 years to do it differently it is really tough. Well, also when there's so, you know, there's no risk in sticking with what you know, right? Correct. You know, and, and when you're dealing with health services, then, and there's a potential patient issue at the end of the chain, then risk takes on a very different sort of complexion, right? And introducing more risk into the system. Yeah, completely. And actually, yeah. And I don't want to talk about COVID too much during the next hour because we could fill it with the whole hour. But <laughs> arguably, arguably, when you look at digital health and COVID, that's exactly what happened, was that the risk shifted to it was less risky to do a different model. Um, yes. Um, so, so completely, yeah, medicine is about reducing and minimising risk to patients all the time. Mm. Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. Um, yeah. So, so it so actually changed whilst I can be a... yeah. I can try and describe it as a simple thing. It's really not when it's being ingrained into the, the, the do the least dangerous thing first. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, no, and it, it, it's really difficult, you know, I, it's, it's, and you, I, you, you can completely appreciate why if something has worked okay for a long time, then yeah. well, why would that change? Now, obviously, like you said, the last couple of years has kind of blown a lot of that out of water, you know, through some necessity. So you started Spirit with the aim of, improving the cost effectiveness and availability and speed of delivery of, of, of just medical supplies um yeah. and, and and drugs well you know from ph- ph- pharmaceutical supplies yeah. and so how did that i guess it went well because you sort of evolved but what was the evolution because obviously from what i can tell now and what we talked about before spirit group itself is now a very mission-driven organization with lots of different services um so i'm just interested on how that journey sort of started to happen really yeah so where did we get to so we started off with those prescription products um yeah. so products that were prescribed uh, and then what we tried to do was add value to the patient journey uh, along the way so mm-hmm. uh, so uh, we weren't satisfied with just just having the products that delivered the end result that that, that, that was initially needed so uh, we started creating clinical services that supported the use of that product um, and then eventually digital interventions that supported the use of patient sorry supported patients who use those products as well yeah um, so, so if I look at it now, you've got, yes, absolutely, that medicines optimization service. So that service that reduces the cost of medicines whilst improving the quality. Mm-hmm. You've then got the primary care services. But then off the back of developing a small amount of digital support, you know, we now have a digital health platform. And our mission very much has become how can we make healthcare accessible, affordable to everyone, not just in the UK, mm-hmm. but around the world. Um, and that that's the real driver. Um, for how we um, go yes and we're going to get into that in the next part of the show so we're going to take a couple of minutes now for a commercial break and you've timed that very well in terms of where you stop talking there it's very good it's almost like you've done this before so we'll be back in a couple of minutes and we will get into everything that spirit health is doing right now and and particularly i'd like to i think with with organizations like like yours because you do so much and you do do so much i mean there's a there's so many interventions, so many services and so much value that you're delivering across the health system. I think it would be useful for everyone just to, if we if we flipped it around slightly and, and first of all dealt with what are the problems that you solve and then we can do the how because the how is actually, obviously with any complex system, delivery of it is actually relatively complex but the, the problems you solve I think are universal or, or almost universal for everyone listening. So, you know, I think we should we can start there if that's okay with you. I will do my best. Good. Okay, well, look, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thanks, dude. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. 
good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, your host, and Chris Barker, the CEO of Spirit Health Group, which is one of the leading service providers to the NHS in the UK. So before the break, we were just trying to understand, or we, we were, Chris took us through his journey to founding Spirit Health and, and why he did that. I think now... What I'd like to do, as, as I said before the break, is like, I'd like to, if, if possible, Chris, if you could just, and you can do this sequentially, because I know that your business grew over time, but what are the problems and how did you come across those problems that, that, that Spirit Group decided to go and solve? Because obviously within the healthcare system, there are, there's a lot of problems out there that you could solve. So h- how did that evolve? Yeah, so, so um, I guess when we first started, it was about looking at inefficiencies. So it was about looking at the fact that, yeah, because it's a big system, there, there, there are lots of yeah, relatively small inefficiencies to anyone looking at the entirety of the system. Mm-hmm. But once you start adding those together, they become quite big. Uh, uh, so, so we started the business really looking at how we could yeah, provide yeah, the exact same products and services that somebody else might be providing, but do them in a different way. What were some of the what were some of those efficiencies, or one of those efficiencies, just off the top of your head, just as an example? Oh, so, so a really simple example is that we were able to launch yeah medical devices that were exactly the same quality as ones that are already on the market, but discount those by twenty or thirty or forty percent from the standard pricing. Okay, and the way we were able to do that was that we. Uh, we didn't have the large sales and marketing expenditure that some of the other organizations in the market might have had. Right. Um, and we dealt with uh, budget holders rather than talking to lots of individual prescribers. So we right. were able to streamline our operations and how we worked so that the value was passed into the health system rather than spent on you know, increased sales and marketing costs. Right, because potentially, let's say if you're a medical device developer, or even a well there's the developer the person that manufactures the device that's then distributed through somebody who then may sub-distribute and each of those people add on a margin add on a margin and so and any of those people can then try and get a contract with the healthcare service and depending upon how far down that chain the healthcare services choose to contract that will then dictate how marked up that price is is that sort of roughly how that played out or have i simplified it slightly um I, I know I'm supposed to agree, but I'm not going to. No, um, you so, don't have to agree. Uh, I'm not, you don't, you so, tell, I, I, I mean, so, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
So, so I've articul- I think that's true in certain circumstances, but I guess the markets that we work in, so take diabetes, for example, uh, actually the, the, the pharma companies will mostly operate in those markets themselves, uh, as with okay. the medtech companies. Um, uh, the challenge for those companies is, is you know, going back you know, when Spirit first launched 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, it was those companies marketed themselves through through hundreds and hundreds of sales reps. Uh, hundreds of medical representatives and several layers above that into the market. Um, And what we were able to do was was quickly adapt and change that model. Uh, And those large multinational companies are a bit like oil tankers. Of course, (laughs) they change and they flex, but it takes them much longer. Uh, So what we were doing 10 years ago, they are now absolutely doing, um, uh, but but they weren't then. Uh, To them, uh, that time, it was something that that was new and different, and we were able to lead that charge. That's that's amazing, um, and so you started with the inefficiencies, and and then how did it evolve from there? Yeah, so what we then discovered was that actually, whilst 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 there's inefficiencies on prescribing, that's 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 almost a zero sum game um, in, in the mm-hmm. sense that yeah, it becomes yeah, a little bit of a commoditizing game um, yeah. where where absolute there's value in doing it because it still gets best value for the healthcare system, um, but. Yeah, other companies into the market started looking at what we were doing and, and, and creating similar types of projects. Um, so what we then looked at was, was how can we add the same type of efficiencies, the same type of systems and processes, but into the clinical service delivery? Uh, so into how services are delivered so that you can make them both better and more affordable. Mm-hmm. And with that, comes technology. With that, with that comes appropriate use of technology to try and um find different touch points for for patients within systems um, yeah. and yeah to, to take the health service from being something that currently is quite reactive mm-hmm. um yeah i think i'm on record as saying that the national health service should be called mm-hmm. national illness service currently yeah um and actually let's try and make it a health service that we focus on proactive health care and keeping people keeping people well and, and healthy uh, rather than just treating them once they become poorly yeah, I like the difference between, you know, preventative, proactive care to someone just saying, oh, I'm sick, I'm going to go and see the GP. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and we run primary care services. And the, the, the best way for us to manage our demand as a primary care service, as a GP practice, mm-hmm. is to make sure that our patients are well and don't need to come to us. Uh, right. And that's not because we don't want to see them. That's because the best care for them is the care that means they haven't got to come and see us in that way. Um, yes. Or, yeah. Um, or that we're contacting them so that they come in before they know the poorly and we can treat something quicker and faster. Yeah. And that's been our driver you know, realistically now for the past seven or eight years. And at what point did this sort of what we now, I'd say, you've, not euphemistically, but people talk about digital healthcare. At what point did what we now know as digital healthcare start to come into what you were doing? It might have been there from the beginning, but what, what, when did it, when, when did you, when did that happen? And was it like a, a light bulb moment or did it just sort of creep in? Uh, so like most things that are great about Spirit these days, it was very little to do with me. Um, <laughs> um, a, a colleague of mine um, suggested that he'd seen some technology in the US that he thought um, on one hand worked brilliantly. Um, and it was, it was a very old till uh, that, that a company used to go and place into a patient's house with okay. the um, devices plugged into the back of it that enabled okay. them to monitor people's health across the country in the States. Um, it was a Windows 95 till. Um, so so 
by today's standards, very, very old technology. Yeah. In 2011, that was the start of our journey. Wow. Something in 2011 running Windows 95 as its operating system. Wow. That's amazing. Um, That is really amazing. Yeah. So we then... um, we then spent some time looking at that and working with it, and in the end, ended up building our own version of it. Um, cool. I hasten to add, not in Windows ninety five. No, Windows ninety seven, right? <laughs> <laughs> you upgraded, got the new version. <laughs> um, good. Okay. And so, like, let's talk about let's talk about all of the things that you do at, at Spirit today, and, and sort of how it's going. So, I know that when we caught up before the show with the show planning call that we always do. You know, there's a lot that you guys are doing at a really high level. So I've kind of opened the floor to you to sort of explain a bit about that with, you know, however you want to do it. So, but yeah, because you are doing a heck of a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't think we are. I think we should be doing more. But Well, I mean, I, you know, you can still do a heck of a lot and still find uh, more. I mean, well, there's no maximum cap here. Yeah, so, so um, I'll probably describe two parts of what we do fairly briefly. Not because they're not important, but yeah, it's a health tech podcast so so i'll focus more on what we do in the health tech space but um so so what do we do currently so so we still provide those medicines optimization services so we still work across the health service in the uk uh, and that part of our business is is growing really strongly Um, in there there are teams of uh, pharmacists and nurses that work with the health services um, and make a real impact on both the quality of care and also the the effectiveness of it Um, we then also run um, both primary care services and kind of intermediate out of hospital services, so that, that space in between GP and hospitals. Um, and that's a really good place for us to actually feel what it's like to work in the health service. Um, yeah, that's your front line, right? Oh, uh, 100%. Uh, yeah, we've got um, teams of, um, of GPs, doctors, nurses working you know, their hearts out in those mm-hmm. surgeries and, and the relevant managerial support to do that as well. Um, and I must give them a shout out for the work they've been through in the past couple of years. I mean, I was going to say the last couple of years must have been just, I mean, I can't even find the words. Uh, ditto. Uh, and the, the resilience they have had to take on more and more and more uh, at a time when they're already, uh, I can't swear. No, you know, that's the one rule um, about the show. Uh, Johan will kill you. I'm hoping that, um, I think of another word other than that, but they're <laughs> absolutely exhausted is a word that I can think I'm safe to say. Um, yeah. And yet they still push on and push through. Uh, and for that, I am eternally grateful to them, um, yeah. as are our populations of patients. Um, yeah. the, the last bit that we do is, is our digital health platform. Um, and yeah, once again, we started out with a mistake. Yeah, we took that platform that we saw in the US, um, uh, licensed it for a while, then built our own version of it. Um, and uh, we built it in a really rigid way originally, um, in a way that worked brilliantly. Um, yet we have published data in uh, in peer-reviewed journals that that says that 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 original pathway that we built reduced unplanned admissions in COPD patients by two thirds, by sixty-seven percent. Um, yeah, we could increase the caseloads that clinicians could manage, and patients got statistics. Oh, I can't even say the word. Uh, statistically significant improvements in care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem was that we we built it thinking with a tech head and thinking with the head of how we can make the best pathway. We didn't build it from our hearts, really, knowing that what the health service wants is something that's localized and a little bit different in different parts, different parts yeah. of the NHS, but also in different parts of the world. Yeah. So, so what we've done now is taken 
the methodology that we used to build those first pathways that got those tremendous results and built a platform that allows any local clinical team to digitize their pathways. Um, they can start from scratch, they can adopt someone else's, but ultimately we can make that experience digital and indeed, and this is probably the key bit for me, proactive. So, so let's break that down a little bit, just so all of the listeners are on the same page. When you talk about a pathway, you yep. mean you effectively that's that's a, that's a, a, a sort of formal term, is it not, for just how somebody is so someone has a disease or is presenting with symptoms of a disease, how they proceed through the health service? Is that what that means, or how would you define pathway? Yeah, I think on this occasion, that's a brilliant way of describing it, Steve. All right, I got it right this time. That's um, good. So, yeah, the, um, so, the, so, so a pathway is, it, it could be the entirety of someone's journey from you know, diagnosis right through to, to death, or it could be a small part of it. Um, and right. I guess yeah, there are different interpretations by different people on, on the exact definition of, of what a pathway means in this context. Yeah. Uh, to us, the definition doesn't really matter actually um, no. um what we do is enable either a small part of that experience or the whole extent of it from diagnosis to to the end uh, to be to be digitized uh, which and, and i think that we'll come on to because you were doing this before covid just completely blew the doors off the digital health space yes. we'll come on to what's happened as a result of covid but you were doing this before um, and you you originally focused on COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, I, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Yeah. And so could you just give us a quick 30 seconds on, on that disease and why you focused on it and why that's such a big problem for healthcare services, not just in the NHS, but, you know, yeah, other parts um, of the world? Yeah, so... So COPD um, is a disease that causes essentially a stiffening of the airways, um, and it's a constant decline. Uh, so, so it is not something that you get better from. Um, right. But um, with each decline, uh, it, it's not a steady linear decline. It, it's, like ste- it's like walking down steps. And with mm-hmm. each step, your quality of life and your physical health deteriorates quite rapidly. Yeah. So what you can do in COPD is try and avoid the steps. Okay. Because then someone's quality of life and indeed physical health stays better. And uh, it, and if and, and just to be super basic about it, if someone's quality of life is better and their general health is better, not only is that better for them and their family and whoever they're, they're is looking after them, it's also better for the healthcare service. Uh, yeah. Comp- absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so if someone. Um, has something called an exacerbation, which which means it, one of those you're walking off one of those steps and you're getting periodically yeah. worse. Then you typically will end up in hospital. Uh, right, right. Uh, if you don't react to it really quickly, really, really, end up in hospital. And yeah, a severe respiratory patient going into hospital is both horrendously expensive for the healthcare system, over four thousand pounds a time, um, wow, in the NHS, um, but also really bad for that patient because their quality of life doesn't go back up to where it was. Right. Um, so, so we focused on that because we felt that we could work with patients at home um, who are already supported by clinical teams, so specialist mm-hmm. teams, um, and we could help to spot things going wrong quicker and faster than you would during normal non-digital care. And the reason for that is that by spotting them faster, quicker, more effectively, it allows for quicker treatment than to be addressed, which then leads to better health outcomes. Yeah, correct. And I, I can probably speak the words of one of our patients from those really early days. Um, yeah. he, he described it. It's like having my nurse come to check up on me every day or whenever right. I fill my results into the system. Um, so, okay. so, 
how she used to describe it was that it was, yeah, when you've got a normal chronic disease nurse management system, yeah, when the nurse comes to see you, she, she checks how you are. Yeah. Uh, she comes on the right day, that's great. If it's not the right day, as in when an exacerbation is about to happen, then it's a bit potluck as to whether she picks he or she picks up the, the challenge. Um, so what we do is we enable that clinician to see that patient and their state all the time. Um, okay. Or as frequently as the patient fills out the details and trend it, so you get to right. start to see, yeah, trend analysis, yeah, all the things that we start to look at in digital tech and see it more. Yeah. Because this, you were doing this before people were. So this is what generally people refer to as sort of remote monitoring, you know, remote patient monitoring. But you were doing that. You were doing this before people were talking about it as that. Absolutely. I think, right. Yeah. You you were just doing it because you felt like it was a a natural extension of why wouldn't you do this? This is a it's using technology to just deliver a better version of the care that's already being delivered. Is that sort of fair? Uh, that is one of the best definitions I've ever heard. Uh, oh, look, I'm getting better at this. So, uh, and so, and, and, and do you, and what, what, you know, that, that patient aside was one particular instance, but was that reaction sort of consistent across the board when you first started doing this? Were there, were there, was there a pushback either from the clinicians or from the patients? Cause it's sort of now 2022 it's like oh my goodness yeah that is like completely logical and like of course we should do that but i'm sure it wasn't as smooth as uh, it wasn't all smooth sailing i suspect uh, uh, absolutely not so, so feedback from patients was overwhelmingly positive uh, right. feedback from patients um yeah it wasn't for everyone let's not pretend that anything in healthcare is um no. but it, but of the patients who wanted to, to do this of which yeah over 80 percent of patients uh, would be really keen to get involved in this wow that's huge yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, and the feedback from those patients yeah, in patient satisfaction scores is over 90%. Wow, that's uh, cool. So, so patients who want to do it really like it. Yeah. Um, clinicians find it a challenge. Um, okay. Um, and yeah, and we work with some amazing, brilliant clinicians who, who've really embraced this. But yeah, ultimately, you're asking clinicians to do something really differently to how they've worked um, yeah, and I guess I'm going back to when we started here. Yeah, they we were asking them to do something completely alien. Um, you mentioned risk earlier on. We're asking them to trust in some technology rather than them seeing patients themselves. That's really tough. Um, yeah, yeah. And a, was that was that the was it? So that's almost like a conceptual issue for them. It was just a, a just a completely new concept, was it? And they just it's, um, was it? well, so. so, so I guess it's a new concept. I don't think the concept necessarily was the issue because the concepts are fairly straightforward. Uh, the difficulty was was trust. Um, right. The difficulty was well, if I see a patient face to face and I make that decision, then then it's on me. It's it's my accountability. Right. Uh, that's what someone's used to. We're saying, yeah, or we were saying, yeah, trust that the results you're seeing on your computer in front of you are as reliable for you to make those same decisions. Right. Uh, and that's why we felt that going and getting the evidence to support this and getting that published and peer reviewed was really important because that enabled those clinical teams to have that trust. And so on that note, we're going to take our final commercial break. But afterwards, after that, we're going to dig into this concept of, 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 the, of, of you pers- proactively or actively pursuing um, research papers, publishing research papers in peer reviewed journals, which... Let's be honest, not every digital healthcare company does, and um, not every, every healthcare company does, to, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. It's a much, much harder pathway. And I know that there's there's lots of good reasons why you did it, which you sort of just alluded to, but I want to get into that because I think it's really interesting and, and a real USP of, of what Spirit and or how Spirit 
group has been has sort of gone about what they're trying to do. So we'll be back after a quick break. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Galar Light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello, and welcome back to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, your host, and Chris Barker, the CEO of Spirit Health Group. Now, before we before the break, we um, Chris was getting into we were getting into um, the the research component. So. Um, why don't you take us through the what exactly you've done and more importantly, I think the, the why, because you didn't have to do this, right? You could have had a business that delivered the services that you deliver w- without investing in what is without doubt a fairly arduous path that you didn't necessarily have to tread, right? So walk us through it. Um, so yes and no, Steve. So, so I would argue that we probably did have to tread it. Um, and Perhaps that's in part down to the culture of the business, how we operate. Um, so, so you mentioned at the top of the hour that I've got two job titles, one's chief exec and one's chief mischievist. Um, and some of that comes through in how we work with people. Um, and yeah, as a culture, we like to have fun. We like to be engaging and we like to make it interesting to work with us. Um, and, but I guess the downside to that um, is that we then also have to demonstrate that actually we're really good at doing what we say we're going to do as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for, for us in delivering healthcare, yeah, we want to know that what we're doing works and makes the impact that we think it will. Um, and it's not good enough to have a gut feeling or an assumption that it will. Um, so we employ teams of scientists and health economists who work with us to make sure that, yeah, not just in digital health, actually, but, but across everything that we do, if we're going to do something, we measure it and then we publish openly the results of, of what that does. Um, and for me, Steve, that gives the, the balance between us wanting to have fun um, and, and enjoy the impact that we're making, um, whilst also demonstrating that we're really good at what we do at the same time. Right. And and was that was that something that you had in your minds from the beginning? Or was that was there something that happened where you said, actually, one of the ways we can solve this challenge is by going down this pathway with research? Or was it something you're like, no, 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 we're going to do this from the beginning because it's the right thing to do? Um, uh, 
again, like a lot of things that came from feedback, it came from listening to people. Um, uh, so one of the challenges of, of deploying of deploying digital health, so clinics in the early days, um, was that people said, yeah, how do I know it works? Where, where's the evidence that supports it works? Yeah, people felt quite intuitive that it would. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but actually, uh, yeah, clinical teams wanted to see some evidence. Um, right. Um, so it was in the very earliest days, it started off as, as coming from feedback. Now it, it's absolutely ingrained into what we do. Yeah, we don't set off on a project without working out what data we have to collect to make sure that we can evaluate it effectively at the end. Um, right. And um, what does that data show? Like what, what, are, what have been the results of, of the various bits of research for your technologies? Oh, God. more services. Yeah, there's, there's there's that many. It starts to get. Um, so if I focus on the digital side, you know, I've mentioned already the two thirds reductions in implant admissions to hospital, which um, is huge. I mean, that's enormous. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that, that's 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 enormous. Yeah, I mean, if that had, uh, I can't evidence this, but my suspicion is that if that had been a pharmaceutical product that had got those results, yeah, that would have been what's known as a blockbuster product across the world. Yeah. And um, so, so just so that was with your 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 um, your COPD digital pathway, correct? Yes. Um, and and that meant that there were two thirds less, two thirds fewer unplanned admissions to the hospital from the group of people that were using your digital pathway. Yeah, correct. So so that used a control group um, and compared people to the previous year as well. Um, okay. So that was essentially comparing people to them to themselves and also to other people who were in similar conditions. Um, and what so, do you what what do you attribute that drop to? What what elements of the technology or of the service do you attribute that drop to? Or maybe it might not. Obviously, it's the whole thing. But I'm just sort of interested. To I, see. I, I think it's a, so. In that particular case, I think it's, it's a really simple answer. Uh, the answer is um, that we were able to see someone exacerbating, so someone getting a bit worse much quicker. Um, right. Um, so so typically, you can start seeing exacerbation in COPD over about three days. Okay. Um, so if you remember, I said a little bit earlier that yeah, one of the challenges um, with the chronic disease management type model is that mm. yeah, whenever that nurse is talking to you, it, it's, it's locus whether it's the right time. Yeah. And, and the look means that you have to be seeing the patient on one of those three days. Uh, yes. What, or the patient has to recognize the signs themselves and do something about it proactively. So, so what does clinicians do? What's the difference it makes? Um, first of all, it enables people to see um, that that change over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The clinical teams can see that change and see someone going off or exacerbating quicker than they might have done. Right. Uh, the second is that you can teach patients uh, so self-mastery um, right. at the same time because they're also seeing it quite systematically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so they, they can see it as well, right? It's both sides. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, going back to the patient side of things again, yeah, um, yeah, you've got a patient who's been monitored for respiratory disease, uh, for COPD in, in clinic touch. And yeah, the first time that they start to have an exacerbation, the nurse will message them either through the system or, or by a phone call mm. and say, yeah, you're having an exacerbation. It looks like you're starting to have an exacerbation. These are the signs that I'm, I'm seeing and reading. Yeah, uh, and each of the patients has something called an exacerbation pack. Okay. It's basically a steroid inhaler, which, which right. take that, it prevent, it, if they take that early enough, it prevents the exacerbation. Does it really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's... So, wait, so, so hold on, so hold on. So the downside of an exacerbation is enormous, but the, the, the intervention is a simple steroid inhaler, but just has to be taken at the right time. Correct. And wow. the latter part of that sentence is the hard bit. Um, right, because you need to be able to connect 
what is a very simple device with the right time period to do it in, which yeah, is very right. hard with, without a digital platform to do that. Yeah, uh, and, and sometimes it might be a combination of different things, not just the steroid inhaler. Okay. But ultimately, that exacerbation pack is something which is yeah, well-documented, well-researched, and it's about, it's about supporting and educating people to take that at the right time. Mm. Um, so, so what our system ultimately did in that scenario was spot people for the right time to take their, their medications. And those are not our medications, they're someone else's, by the way, um, of which there's a number of different providers. Um, and the second thing it did was the first time a patient sees the exacerbation happening, the, the first time they know about it is when the nurse contacts them. The second mm. time when the nurse contacts them, they're kind of going, oh, yeah, it's an exacerbation now, isn't it? I should take my medication. Yeah. Uh, the next time they've already taken it, um, right. so so you're starting to the patients are, and individuals with these conditions are starting to also build up a better. Well, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, who, what, who in their right minds wants to go and be admitted to hospital? Correct. And I, I mean, I'm sure there are some people, right? It's never a hundred. It's never zero zero percent, but it's 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 not a very high number, right? I mean, if you could do anything to stay out of hospital, you're going to be pretty incentivized and inclined to do that and get on top of it. I, I would suspect. Uh, uh, so, so I think in terms of staying out of hospital, yes, hundred percent. I agree with you entirely. Um, I, I think there is a bit of a, a social aspect to some of the care that happens. You know, um, okay. one of the challenges that we have. Yeah, both in the health system, but also the social care system is isolation. Um, so yeah. I think, yeah I, I don't want to suggest that what we're doing is perfect. Yeah. Arguably, uh, we're delivering better health care, but, but taking away some of the social contact that some of these people have. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. So, often. So, um, so, so I think, yeah, we still have a long list of challenges to go and work on, such as how we're Yeah. Reducing. I mean, it, it's an interesting question, which is sort of, that, that's a that's an interesting i mean it's almost an ethical question isn't it really which is mm-hmm. sort of an, a nurse is, is a healthcare professional in 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 that instance in theory she's providing healthcare associated with a condition but actually her visit his or her visit rather has um the ability to deliver healthcare services beyond that that then verge into social care but is that what should be happening or it's just a, a nice upside it's kind of a it's a tricky area isn't it uh, yeah i think it's really difficult because on, on one hand you can say well yeah there must be more efficient ways to deliver that that social aspect of of the role uh, mm. but actually if someone's fulfilling both at the same time does that does that make it yeah okay like what yeah exactly like yeah. is that okay yeah yeah um, and then but if that's okay then should that get then sort of put back into the evaluation of the value of that role and that service when people, you know, do the, do the health economics? Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting. So let's. And actually we have measured socialization whilst using digital. Uh, oh, yeah. Research. Um, and overall, once you add everyone together, there is, there is certainly no net, net negative. In fact, it's a slight net positive. Oh Yeah. Okay. Uh, however, and that's because they feel like they're more in contact with with the teams who are supporting them. Right. Uh, uh, when you ask for specific words, um, having said that, that's not that's not absolute for everyone. Yeah, that, no. that, that's an average. That's a normal distribution. That makes sense. So let's talk about COVID because yeah. we managed to kind of avoid the elephant in the room for a good chunk of the show. <laughs> but obviously, your services, particularly in the digital space will have changed expanded accelerated over the last couple of years so what what has been that impact i mean uh, you know 
and and how I, I, I don't know what what has been that impact on on, on what you were doing. You were doing a lot of it before in this digital um, delivery digital pathway space, and so what has what what, what happened and, and and what's happening now? So, so I think the, the, the simple answer for me is that uh, when it came to digital, COVID flicked a switch, um, and it flicked a switch uh, not just systematically, uh, but it, but also in clinicians' minds um, where the risk of seeing a patient face-to-face for the first time was perceived, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, to outweigh the risk of delivering care digitally um, because the risk of catching or transmitting COVID was, was perceived as, as too great. So, yeah. so, so care you know, pretty much overnight shifted towards remote delivery. Yeah. And now, remote delivery could be set, could be lots of different things. It could be the telephone or it could be digital solutions like ours. Um, yeah. What we saw was, well, in the first two weeks of, of COVID, when the first lockdown came, uh, we deployed the same number of units that we expected to deploy in the next 12 months. Um, wow. so, our, so our software in two weeks was deployed more than we expected to deploy it in, in, a, in a whole year. And that pace carried on. Um, wow. Um, so, so for us, yeah, we've been supporting COVID patients at home in virtual wards, mm-hmm. been supporting more and more long-term conditions patients, um, and yeah, more recently, we're being commissioned, which in NHS terms means purchased across yeah. all health systems to deploy that platform to build uh, pathways for every condition that's in mm-hmm. every condition that exists in that in, in that locality. Right. Uh, and so why, why? And why do you think? Particularly, obviously, I understand the virtual ward piece, or, or the uh, or, or the, the you know the virtual delivery of, of primary care services because. You know, people couldn't go to the GP because the GP surgery wasn't seeing patients or it was only seeing a very small number of very early cases or however it ultimately sort of shook out. But within why do you think for those disease conditions, there was suddenly such a switch to saying, oh, my goodness, for every single disease or for a much more expanded list of diseases, we now need digital pathways. Was it the same reason or was it just sort of rising tide raises all ships and let's just, you know, do everything digitally or what what do you think? So so if I go back to one of the. One of the questions that you asked me earlier, what are the challenges? What are the things that, that we think we fix? Yeah, in this regard, the problem is that there's more sick people than there are, there are, there are hours in the day for the clinicians to try and resolve on their own, right. uh, particularly in the traditional way. Uh, yeah. So, so what digital gives in just about every pathway, um, to some extent, um, that gives the ability for us to help more patients through the system at the right time. And and dare I say, at, the, at a cost that's sustainable, um, or not, or is yes. cost less of an issue? Um, that's a good question. So, so I think probably, probably at the moment, um, their cost is is less of an issue. Not because digital is increasing the cost, but because what you're doing in getting the right patient in at the right time and giving them the right treatment, that itself reduces the right. overall cost. There's like a cost uh, saving because of the efficiency of the delivery just inherently in it. Yeah, in, in lots of different ways. So so that might, yeah, if you look at diabetes, for example, um, yeah, diabetes is relatively inexpensive to manage um, up until someone starts to get, uh, to get, to get, side effects from the diabetes condition itself yeah that then makes it one of the most expensive conditions to manage in the health service it mm-hmm. accounts for about 10 percent of the 150 billion a year that we spend on, yeah, on the um if we can help support those patients to be better for longer 
yeah. using technology that's relatively inexpensive, uh, then those costs don't come. Or if they do, they're pushed further away and people yeah. themselves stay well for longer. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. If someone's going into hospital and we can make sure that when they go into hospital, they're the right weight, they're, they're in the right physical state, they're healthy enough to go and have their operation, that means less cancelled operations because right. um, there's a significant percentage of, of operations that are cancelled because when someone gets there, they're not right to go and have it. So that wow. rehabilitation for the operation means that yeah. those spaces aren't missed and the expense isn't lost and wasted in the system. Right. Uh, there's also a huge amount of time that people spend in hospital where they could be supported differently, um, which is where that virtual ward comes in to get people yes. to the hospital quicker, but keep them monitored by the same clinical teams just right. in their own homes with the right information supporting them. Makes sense. I mean, makes makes total sense. So we've got a few minutes on the show, left on the show. It's it's really it's it's flown by. Um, it's been great to have you on. So before we go, I, I would just like to obviously as an entrepreneur, you know, who's who's been running his own company for quite a while now. What, what how how do you kind of and I know that team spirit and culture is is important to to you and important to the organisation. And so how how have you managed to keep that motivation and keep on your mission? What what kind of lessons or behaviours or strategies or advice have you received or do you listen to or you know what 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 can you share with with, with us in the audience um so um i think probably that you mentioned it earlier I, i'm i'm really lucky i've got a i've got a great team around me um uh, i've always been really open and, and transparent and vulnerable about the stuff that i'm really rubbish at um, and so my job, I've literally got three objectives, uh, and two of those revolve around bringing in people who do things better than me and that are brilliant. Um, and one of them is around creating an environment for those people to excel in. Um, yeah, what's that look like? Uh, that brilliant environment essentially means that I spend most of my time being a mischievist, as you mentioned mm-hmm. at the start, mm-hmm. trying to remove barriers. You know, where there's red tape, chop it. Uh, yeah. Where we haven't got to do something, just find a way to move it out of the way. Right. Uh, um, and make sure that we're all aligned to try and deliver things in the right direction, um, that we're all incentivized. And if I give one example of that, we have a big, big target to go and achieve by by March 26. Mm-hmm. And if we achieve that, we're splitting half of the company's profit with all the staff through share. Wow, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and incidentally, one of those targets is to go and deliver Clinitoach, that digital healthcare platform, free to one developing nation. Wow. That's great. And that's part that's of the corporate incentive program. Uh, well, Chris, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Chris Barker, CEO of Spirit Health Group. Um, if anyone wants any more information, what's the website? Uh, www.spirit-health.com. Perfect. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thanks so much, Steve. When you can I'm a girl.